Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's a, a privilege to combine our uh, adult classes this morning, our adult equipping school, as we uh, join the Answers Bible class with the parenting class. Thanks to Carlos Price for putting together our parenting class. And we're very excited to have a special guest speaker, not only in this hour, uh, but for our 1030 worship service. And so it's uh, my job to introduce Griffith Vertican. Uh, Griffith has uh, become a friend, and we've gotten to know each other over the past uh, several years. Uh, Griffith is an attorney at law, uh, receiving his law degree from Trinity Law School. Um, was one of seven out of 50 that passed his bar exam in his class. So very difficult <clears throat> uh, exam. Uh, and Griffith Vertican was the NPDS Debate Competition Champion. What does that stand for, NPDS? In National Parliament Debate Association. This is a secular a college debate organization, and he was the national champion. Uh, Griffith Vertican is also a speech and debate coach. In fact, many of his students have won national championships. And uh, so we are just very uh, blessed to have him here uh, to be speaking on sexual purity, both at 9 o'clock and at 1030. So let's go ahead and welcome uh, Griffith Vertican. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Well, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'd like to, uh, if you guys are sitting in the back and wouldn't mind coming forward, we'll make it a little bit more cozy. And I'll grab my Bible here. Well, let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Lord God, I just thank you so much for the privilege to be here. Uh, God, I just pray that you would um, speak through me now and just fill this uh, assembly with your spirit. God, give us ears to hear and just hearts to listen that your word may transform us, God, that you would continue the good work you've been doing in our lives, that as we work out our salvation, God, that it would become more clear that we would live lives that would glorify you. And Lord, that you would burn away the dross in our life. God, the things that we have given over to the enemy, Lord, may we take those back today. God, if there's any unconfessed sin, God, I just pray that you would already begin to work on our hearts this, this morning. And I just pray, God, that this talk would be uh, impactful and uh, impact the lives of the, those who hear it. So I just pray your blessing on this time now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here uh, with you guys today. And the talk I'm, I'm about to give you is um, what I call the case for moral excellence. And as an attorney, you know, one of the things we study a lot in law school is case law. We study about cases. You learn how to argue cases. Uh, in fact, one of the big topics we take in law school is called evidence. And as you guys know, uh, if you've seen any of those law school dramas and you hear like an attorney say, I object, um, they're objecting based on an evidence standard, an evidence rule. Uh, so we, we spend a lot of time studying what good evidence is, how to utilize evidence in a courtroom. And so evidence becomes kind of the driving force of our arguments uh, in front of a jury, in front of a judge. Uh, it, it, evidence is how we make compelling arguments and, and seek to persuade those who are listening 
to us, to our side. And, and so in a very real sense, that's what I'm going to try to do this morning, and, and especially for this morning talk, is really give a message to you parents and uh, uh, hopefully equip you with some evidence that will, will show you that, man, God's plan for sexual purity and for you, for you to train your kids, it's so needed now more than ever. And I hope to show you that, that both the secular science and the biblical truth of God's word is so true today and is so relevant today. And uh, Pastor Matt Chandler uh, had, has a, a quote that I, I love to say. And he, he's pointed out that, man, I love it when the science catches up to the scriptures. And, and let me tell you today that there is a lot of science that is catching up to the scriptures, especially in the area of relationships and moral purity. But I was studying history, and I, I learned about this interesting uh, military defense program called the DEFCON system. And on October 22nd, 1962, the United States reached its highest level of DEFCON. It reached DEFCON 2 at the height of the Cold War. And at the time, it was believed that the Soviet Union was days away from launching missiles, uh, nuclear warheads, at mainland United States. And so uh, the, the DEFCON system was ratcheted up. DEFCON 2 meant that we were within 12 hours of launching a retaliatory strike or even a potential preemptive strike against Cuba and or Soviet Union. And so this was at the height of the tensions. We, we uh, faced a, a, a perilous time. And, and it was during this time that the DEFCON system put our military on high alert. See, the DEFCON system was created in 1959 during Dwight Eisenhower's administration, and it was, you know, created for the purpose of preparing readiness, that the military, as the levels of DEFCON, starting at DEFCON 5, would ratchet up, it would um, prepare different levels of the military. And so that by the time you got to DEFCON 2, we have the military on almost full, full alert that they're within 24 hours. The jets are fueled. Their, their weapons are hot. Loaded missiles are put on the airplanes. Things are ready to go. And, and DEFCON 1 is the highest. We've never reached DEFCON 1 because DEFCON 1 means we're being attacked and we're attacking. And so thankfully, that nuclear attack has never happened. But what the DEFCON system created was a system of readiness that we could assess a threat and we could gauge that threat and put the right level of readiness to, to match that level of threat. So as the level of threats rise, so does our level of readiness, right? Well, in a real sense today, when I look at what's happening in our culture, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, I think if we were to create a DEFCON system that measured the threat to our young people and to our culture on what's happening through the moral revolution and through the relationships of young people, through sexual identity issues, through the spread of STDs, and, and, and through many other problems that we can see facing the youth today, I think that our system of readiness needs to be ratcheted up. See, if you just consider five facts with me, um, you would see that the world we live in is changing dramatically. Uh, back in the 1960s, do you know what the odds of getting a sexually transmitted disease was? If you were a sexually active young person going through the, the 60s re rebellion period, living in that time, your odds uh, at that time was one out of 50. One out of 50, uh, meaning that, that there was a, a significant level of diseases starting to spread. 
But today, do you know what the, the, the facts tell us today? Well, according to fact number two, the Center of Disease Control reported that in 2015, that, that odds from one out of 50 now jumps to one out of two for the average sexually active teenager by the time he reaches age 25. And that means half of our young people on college campuses, on sorority row, will leave that campus with at least one sexually transmitted disease. The Kaiser Family Foundation found that two-thirds of all new STD cases are actually happening to those under age 25. And according to the CDC, this year alone, we're expecting 3.2 million new cases of STDs to happen uh, primarily to young people this year alone. We're adding new diseases as well. Um, many of you may have heard the recent news about the Zika virus, which is, didn't start as a, a sexually transmitted virus, but that's how it's becoming transmitted now. In fact, national news was made uh, just a couple months ago when a person uh, contracted the Zika virus in Texas uh, and as a result uh, contracted it through a uh, sexual relationship. And, and so the spread of STDs is changing dramatically. You know, back in the 70s, we only had two uh, well-known STDs. Do you know how many we have today? Just back in the 70s, two STDs were, were on the charts. Today, we have over 25 well-known STDs that are, that are many of which are hitting epidemic levels. And so I think we're just looking at the SDs without even looking at the emotional damage and the other issues facing our young people. I think, I think it's clear that, man, we are, we are facing a massive threat. Can we agree on that? And, and that if we were to rank it on a DEFCON system, man, I think we're at DEFCON 1. I, I think that if you were to consider just the impact that's happening to the lives of young people, many of whom lives and their, the trajectory of their life is forever being altered because of choices that they're making today in their relationships. You know, I heard the story of a young girl. Uh, her name was Lauren. She was a church-going girl. She was in a small group. And, and one of my friends, Ashley, uh, had this girl in her small group. And Lauren knew better. She was uh, trained in the church, but like so many young people in our youth groups today, um, you know, believed she had waited long enough, and, and she um, ended up sleeping with her boyfriend, and um, she contracted the human papilloma virus from that uh, encounter. And, and here she was, not even 14 years old, and she's already facing a virus. And you might say, well, Griff, that's just a really rare case, isn't it? No. I mean, unfortunately, today, that's becoming more and more the norm of what people are waking up to. And for many that contract viruses like uh, uh, the herpes virus or HIV, those are for life. Those come with a life sentence. And, and it begins to sink into me that, man, I can't think of anything worse than having to tell your future spouse, man, I have this sexually transmitted virus and, and not only did I not wait for you, but if you marry me, you know, you're at risk of getting this virus too. That's devastating. And, and so what I want to bring to our attention today is something that I think is really serious because it's one that's impacting so many young lives today. And, you know, the Proverbs 22 verse 6, it says, it tells us that we're to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, not depart from it. And I think when we look at what's happening in our culture, we, we should be able to agree that most young people lack training when it comes to their relationships, when it comes to their moral standards, when it comes to the idea of sexual purity. And, and so I, I think that this is a really important talk for, 
us to discuss because we are clearly at DEFCON 1. And so uh, what I did is I posted on your, your handout there, and I hope you got one of these, um, the Proverbs chapter 5. And, and if you read through the first uh, five chapters of, of Proverbs, you notice that this is a father giving his son advice on how to, how to live, how to flourish, right? And if you read through the first five chapters of, uh, of, of Proverbs, um, just, just do this this afternoon. Just go and read those five chapters because when you get to chapter five, you'll notice that the dad, he suddenly like, he like flips a switch and, and things become real. You know, he takes it up a notch. All of his advice is important, but when he gets to top uh, uh, chapter 5, he starts using emphatic language. Three times in chapter 5, he's going to tell his son to listen up, to not miss this. That if he misses other things, he shouldn't miss this. And so he's going to use some pretty emphatic language when we look at what he says to his son in chapter 5. And and so I think we should just read through this together, and, and you can follow along, and I'll read it out loud. But here's what he says to his son. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned for the lips of an immoral woman as are, are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smooth, smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double edged sword Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. So now, my son, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. And will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. And someone else will enjoy the fruits of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Wow. Those are some pretty sobering words when we consider this advice was written over 2,000 years ago. I mean, just consider some of the things that he predicts for his son. That disease would consume his body, that he would face public disgrace, that, that of all the choices he would make, this is the one he says he'll really regret. This is the one he says he'll look back on in his life and he'll say some of the saddest words that are written in the Old Testament. Oh, how I wish I would have listened. Oh, how I wish I would have listened. And man, I, I know there are kids here today. And, and in one of the things that's hard for us as, as teenage boys when we're going through those years is to listen to our parents. Can I get an amen? Right. Like teenage boys listening to the parents. Man, that can be tough. But, but of all the things you would tune your parents out for, this should never be one of them. Because this one, the dad is pleading with his son and saying, man, don't miss this. This is your life we're talking about. This one will ripple through every other area. So don't miss this. And so that's why we're talking about it. 
That's why I've titled this talk, The Case for Moral Excellence, Why Cultivating a Lifestyle of Sexual Purity is Critical to Your Child's Success and Survival. We're going to look at a few different areas. We're going to look at why this must be a priority for parents. We're going to look at what keeps parents from being successful. And then finally, we're going to talk about how to be successful and and how you can add some practical things to your life and to your home to improve the the odds and improve the ability for your kids to be morally excellent. And that's the goal. So let's start with our first point, the first main point. And let me get my slide going here. Why parents must make purity a priority. Why parents must make purity a priority. You know, we need to recognize that we are at war. We're at war with the culture that calls evil good and good evil. Isn't this true? Right? I mean, you don't need me to really give you a lot of evidence on this. You, you can just turn on your television and you can see, you know, some new crazy law or some new crazy program on television that's doing just this. It's calling evil good and good evil. Um, I did some research into this and I found, man, there's some really troubling things happening in our world. But as Isaiah points out, um, Isaiah says it this way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for for bitter. You know, there's this great double standard I see in America when it comes to this issue of, uh, of sexual relationships, especially what we tell young men. Right. Um, Because in every other area, especially when you consider like the military and and even those who are in athletics in almost all of those areas, we tell young men that the best men are the ones who have self-control, who have self-discipline and are self-sacrificing, that those are the kind of soldiers you should be. Right. We tell young men that, man, this is what you want to be a Navy SEAL Well, you're never going to be a Navy SEAL playing a Navy SEAL uh, on video games. Right. Like, no, you're going to have to get off the couch and you're going to have to push yourself harder, farther, and faster than the average soldier will ever want to go, right? That's what it's going to take. And and yet when it comes to relationships, this double standard of our our, our society says to young men, you know what, just whatever feels good, do it. It's all about self-indulgence. It's all about you, right? But that's really problematic because that's not God's definition of masculinity at all. And and that's not God's standard when it comes to moral excellence or what our standard should be for relationships. It's as Ephesians 4.17 points out. Um, Ephesians 4.17 puts it this way. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have, in, they have given themselves over to sensuality so, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. We live in a, 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 a society that, that's even having to change its vocabulary to describe the way it's changing and, and the way we're using technology to invent new ways to sin. I mean, just consider some of the words that are now in our vocabulary. Words like sexting, twerking, trans-black, and trans-able. Words that didn't even exist when I was a kid. 
If you don't know what half of those words are, let me just tell you, um, you're not alone. And you're probably over 25 because uh, those words show that our, our culture is changing and, and, and we're having to create new words just to, just to describe it. You know, even what they consider now romance genre is changing. Uh, just last year, one of the top-selling books and movies was it one called uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which graphically depicts sexuality and violence in the bedroom and promotes this as romance. And, and this is the new form where we have heroes like Lady Gaga, Kanye West, and Miley Cyrus, all who openly promote uh, sexual immorality through their, their songs and their material. And you may say, Griff, well, that's nothing new. But let me tell you, we are taking it to a new level. There is a new level taking place. We have a, a, a culture that mocks what is pure and, and celebrates what is impure. You need no better example than look at the way ESPN treats Tim Tebow and how it treats Caitlyn Jenner. This is the most stark contrast you can see. And, and let me just point this out because I, I did some research and I found that back in the summer of 2012, that when it came out that Tim Tebow was still a virgin, even though he was a professional football player, has all of these women, and yet Tim just still chooses moral purity. And they couldn't believe it. So on NFL's, uh, ES, I'm sorry, on ESPN's first take show, uh, one of their leading uh, personalities, Stephen A. Smith, and former NFL player Hugh Douglas appeared on the show to talk about this breaking news of Tim Tebow's virginity. Um, their goal was throughout the show was to make fun of Tebow and to point out how ridiculous his moral standards were. Uh, Stephen A. Smith put it this way, you know, um, if, Steve, if Tebow uh, was willing to have sex before marriage, it might make me like Tebow just a little bit more. Douglas openly mused about how long Tebow would be able to hold on to his virginity. It's only a matter of time before somebody sinks their claws into that young man, Douglas said. It won't be long now. Then, he, then showing how highly he esteems the institution of marriage, Douglas went so far as to ridicule Tebow's choice to remain pure until marriage, saying, you don't buy a car if you don't test drive it, do you? And, and with this and many other words, they mocked Tebow for his standard of moral purity. But in contrast, consider how they treat Bruce Jenner. Uh, who, you know, underwent, uh, was undergoing a, a transformation and now has come out as Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, and, and let me just say this. I, I, don't, I don't blame him for the way the media has treated his transition. But what I do say is, man, there is something really wrong with our society when it starts celebrating that as something that is more courageous or, or somehow something better to be applauded than moral purity. Consider this last year that at the ESPN Awards, the ESPYs, they gave the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage to Bruce Jenner. And they did so with claiming that, you know, his act of courage by transitioning into a woman uh, is something to be applauded, that that is an act of courage. And yet, what I would tell you today is there can be no greater act of courage than to be a man of moral purity in the day and age we're living in. And, and, and let me just tell you that it's Tim Tebow's act of courage that requires self-sacrifice, self-discipline, and self-control. Uh, it's the true definition of masculinity. But we live in a culture that says things like this. You know, I'm a Christian, says Tebow, and it, and it mocks him for it, right? 
And it says, you know, shut up, Jesus boy, you know? I mean, this, you can't make this up, right? Like, you just turn on. If you've ever watched them talking about Tim Tebow, you know this is exactly how it is. But with Bruce Jenner, it's just the opposite. And, and again, I don't blame Bruce for this. I don't blame Caitlyn Jenner. Um, I, I blame our culture and, and the way we celebrate masculinity today and moral purity. And so clearly we can see this verse coming true, can't we? That, well, you know, we are calling evil good and good evil. And that's really problematic because I think what we're doing more than anything is we're robbing young people of their, of their childhood and, and we're pushing it on younger and younger children. You know, I, I found a study about um, childhood exposure to pornography. And uh, do you know what the average age now of young kids uh, being exposed to hardcore, hardcore pornography in America is today? According to the Wilberforce Project, it's now age 11. Age 11. And the amount of pornography that 11-year-old can see in just two weeks is more porn than someone from the World War II generation would have seen in their entire lifetime. Because it's so easy, it's so accessible, it's so clickable. And, and there's so many uh, porn industries out there that are guerrilla marketing to our young people. Have you ever just been searching on something innocently on Google and then gotten garbage and trash in your search? That's part of their tactics. That's part of their strategy. And so this is the culture we're, we're living in. But my question to you is, when do we say enough is enough, right? I mean, when do we as a, a church and, and for our community and for our young people say that, man, we got to expect something better here. We've got we to recognize that we're, we're fighting a battle. Uh, I mean, the easiest way to lose a battle is to recognize you're not in one, right? Uh, we are in a big time battle and it's time that the church, we, we wake up and, and we begin to say, man, we got to take this issue on head on. We got to blow the lid off of this. We got to have some frank discussions, maybe some awkward talks have got to take place. But man, this is the time. This is the place. And if we as a church don't do it, who will, right? I mean, where are they going to get answers to the questions that they're facing if their parents or their church isn't willing to take those on, right? And, and so, yeah, is it sometimes uncomfortable? For sure it is. Is it sometimes awkward? For sure it is. But we need to recognize that we are living in a culture that is increasingly pressurizing and, and, and creating a pressure cooker environment on our young people to be exposed to sexuality at a young age. And so it's high time that we do something about it. You know, in the book, uh, Return to Modesty, Wendy Shallot points out how there's an epidemic of eating disorders on college campuses today. And that what they found a link to is between a young person's sexual behavior and their use of things like uh, anorexia and bulimia and self-cutting and drug use and substance abuse go hand in hand. In my alma mater, they had to rip out all of the pipes in the girls' dorm um, because there had been so much vomit in those pipes that it was eating through and corroding the pipes. They had to replace them all. And this has become a modern epidemic where we're seeing new levels of that that have never happened before. And studies in psychology have found that it's been in, within the last 10 to 20 years that the, the need for counseling and, and, and care in that area has taken a level they've never seen before in, in the history of that science. In, in other words, we have more people needing counseling for that area than ever we've ever had in America. So it's high time that we recognize something's happening. And we recognize this in my second point here, that it's, it's far better to invest in your child's moral excellence 
than it is into their academic success. Now, I've worked a lot in the homeschool community, and I don't know how many of you are homeschoolers here or know about the homeschool community, but let me tell you one thing about the homeschool community that everybody needs to know. Um, most homeschool parents are super invested in the academic success of their kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you've ever met homeschoolers, you probably know this is true. Like, even if they're slightly socially awkward, probably chances are they're pretty good at school. At least their parents are pretty highly invested in that uh, development. No, we're not all awkward, but some of us are. They can happen. Yeah. Um, The point, though, that you need to recognize is that there is a far better investment, a far better investment that all parents can make if they invest in their kids' moral excellence. And, and, and here's, I, let me just give you some data a little bit on this, right? Like not only is their physical health uh, greatly impacted, but consider the other ripple effects in their life. That, see, what I've seen happen to a lot of uh, our Christian young people is that they go off the college and then they go off the deep end. How many of you have seen this? You guys, anybody else seen this, right? Like they've been raised in a Christian home. They've gone to a Christian church their whole life. And yet they go off the college and they go off the deep end. Well, I have a theory on why I think that happens so much. Now, uh, a lot of people will tell you, well, it's because the college environment is um, extremely secular and they go and they get these atheist professors and, and they, you know, convince them to leave the faith. And I'm sure that that happens. But what I think happens to the majority of our young people when they leave the faith, it's not because they make an intellectual ascent, but rather they make a moral descent. In other words, that they become sexually active and they recognize that, hey, my my lifestyle no longer matches my Christian worldview and one's got to go and this one's a lot more fun. And, And so the moral choices that they make end up impacting their spiritual choices. And that's why so many are leaving the church. And so unless we start doing a better job to prepare our young people for that environment or to keep them out of that environment entirely, uh, let me just tell you, we're going to continue to lose them. And, and, and so the, the real struggle that I've seen is not one for academic success, but it's been the struggle for moral success. And that the one that will impact their financial success, their future career, who they marry, their health, and, and their emotional stability. So many of those areas that ripple out in their life are so corely connected to this one. That if they don't get this one right, it's going to impact so many other areas negatively. And so we got to recognize that, man, there's a much better return on investment. You got investors out there, man, this is your best return on investment, parents, you're ever going to get. The more you cultivate this in your kids, the better the dividends down the road. That's that's where the success is going to be found. So I did some research, and and you know, I have on there um, Proverbs 5, verses 9 through 11. Let's just look at those verses again. It says this. If you do, you will lose your honor if you pursue the immoral relationship and will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. Just consider the harms those those passages list, right? It says that someone else is going to get their wealth, right? It says that there's going to be a physical cost and it says that the reputation is going to suffer, right? So we can see right away that there's some serious impacts to making poor moral choices and and that it's going to impact every area of their life. And and this is the one sin that we really see ripples out through so many other areas. It's the ripple effect. Back in my junior high days, um, I was struggling so much 
in school. Like if you could go in a time machine and you would tell me like, hey, you're going to go be captain of the debate team and go off to law school, I would have responded like, whoa, you must be on drugs or something. Like I'm going to get you help, but you must have the wrong person because the only thing I wanted out of school was like myself. I was like, you know, other than lunch, I, I was struggling in every other class. Like lunch, I did great and I could eat, but that was about it. Um, and during those days, I had a good friend uh, who I'll call Brian, and Brian was like a star athlete. He um, uh, was better looking than me, was better at school than me. I'm like, everything is going Brian's way. And, and so you can imagine my shock when I met him years later, and I found out that he was on the run from, from the police. He, he didn't want to have to pay his child support anymore. And so he had, you know, come back to Southern California, and he was laying low, and he's like, yeah, the, the old ex-girlfriend or whatever wanted child support, and he didn't want to pay it. So now he's a deadbeat dad, and let me just tell you, I know there are some other choices along the way, but the one one, like, if I could phrase it back to, like, the junior high days, and you were a betting person, you'd have been like, look, Brian's my man. He's got everything going for him, right? But the one poor choice that he made, and I think he would admit to you today, was his moral relationships led to the moral decline in his life that led to financial decline, reputation decline. It it, it all went down with it. So all of that potential was lost because of the poor moral choice. And that's what the dad is pleading with his son here. He's saying, listen, this is what's going to impact every other area of your life. We've got to recognize that return on investment is huge when it comes to this area. So that brings me to number three. We've got to recognize recognize that if you don't teach your kids about sex and dating relationships, the world will. You got to recognize that this is the case. I mean, I, I, I know some parents, it's like, man, I just can't have this conversation with my kids or, or my kid doesn't want to talk to me about this. Listen, I mean, I know it's a case by case basis here, but you, you got to pray about it, but you got to have these conversations with your kids. You have to, you have to, because they're going to get information somewhere. And and let me tell you, one of the popular places they're going is YouTube. And let me just tell you, the advice they're getting on YouTube is terrible. It it is some of the most morally declined and bankrupt advice they could possibly get. And sure, there is some physical health advice that they can get that's useful. But the moral advice they're giving is is, is terrible, as we'll see in just a moment. But the thing I want us to to look back on is is Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen how the dad takes on this conversation, right? He, he's taking on, he's taking the initiative and he's telling his son to pay attention, right? He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you'll show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. The dad takes responsibility to tell his son what he's got to know in life. This is the dad's job, right? This is what the dad's got to do because this dad recognizes the truth that it's going to impact his son in a negative way if he doesn't train him in moral excellence. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's so true. And, and I, was, I did some research of what is, what's being taught to high school students on, on YouTube today as many of them are turn, tuning into YouTube to get their questions answered about sex and sexual relationships. And I found that Planned Parenthood has a, a wide variety and database of, of videos um, Vanessa Collins, who's the Planned Parenthood Federation of America Vice President, Medical Affairs. She has a video on there. 
And she gives advice to young people and young teens thinking about sex and having sex. Here's what she tells them. She says, expect to have HPV when you become sexually active. All of us get it. My best advice is to admit that you're a sexually active individual, like most of us, and that you're going to have sex and that you need to take precautions in order to stay healthy. That's her best advice. That's all YouTube's got for them. The best I can hope for you, mm, you just get HPV. Hopefully it's not HIV. That's far more deadly. That's going to be really bad. HPV, we can treat. We can get good you know, care for you on that. We've got great vaccines and things we can do to treat that. But um, man, you just have to expect to get it. All of us get it. That's her best advice. That's the best she's got. Look, I can do better. You can practice self-control and abstinence. I'm living proof of that. I'm not the only one. It's been done for thousands of years. No matter how strong you think your sexual appetite is, you can be stronger because we have the ability to be self-controlled. And we have a God who will not allow us to be tempted past what we can handle. With that temptation, he'll make an escape. But my question to you is what unnecessary temptation are you allowing in your home and in your life? Right? I mean, how, how seriously are we really taking this? Because the propaganda is there. It's telling our young people that there's no, abstinence isn't even an option. It doesn't even cross the radar, so let alone moral excellence. And, you know, if moral excellence and abstinence really are, are, are two different things, though they're two sides of the same coin, you know, abstinence is just simply refraining from sexual activity. Moral excellence is to pursue moral purity. It's to actually cultivate that in your life. It's to actually read God's word. It's to actually dwell on the things of whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is of good rapport, and to fill your mind with those things. It's to, it's to not just wait, but it's to actually advance in the right direction. And uh, imagine if we had videos on that. That's what our young people need today. Heard the story of a dad who went to his high school, uh, public school's sex ed preview day. They had all the parents come, wanted to, to check out what was going to be taught in their school. And this dad was surprised because abstinence was never mentioned in part of the curriculum and, and never covered. Instead, they just talked about the diseases and how they could mitigate the risk. And so finally, this dad, as it was coming towards the end, he, he had to raise his hand and ask, you know, well, what about abstinence? Why aren't we teaching about abstinence? And the teacher um, responded to this dad by saying, look, uh, abstinence went extinct with the dinosaurs. It, it never, it, it's never going to work in this day and age. And the other parents laughed at him and, and he felt all alone. And he said, you know, man, I can't believe I'm the only one uh, among these parents that think abstinence still should be taught to our kids. And so after that um, part of the class, they had a break time. And this uh, teacher invited all of the students to get, um, all the parents to get up and grab um, punch and cookies that was waiting for them in the back of the room. And all of them got up except his dad. And he said it, he felt like a small voice told him to just stay in his seat. Even though the teacher came and implored him to join the other parents in the back of the room, he refused. He stayed in his seat. So after the break time was over, all of the parents came back and the, the, the teacher told them to look under their plates. And under their plates, she had written different STDs. Some had gonorrhea, some had chlamydia, others had HPV, herpes, and HIV. And she said, she asked them who they'd met and they'd all met someone. And so everyone, she says, look, everybody now has an, a sexually transmitted disease. That's how easy it spread. And at that time, the dad knew why he stayed in his seat. 
He said, not everyone. One of us abstained. Man, we need, to, we need dads like that. We need dads who will take a stand in their home and say, son, you can't, you can't do this. Son, I love you too much to see you ruin your life with pornography. Son, I love you too much to see you ruin your life with this relationship. Son, I love you. See, I'll never forget the conversations I had with my dad. I had parents who loved me enough to pull me aside and tell me there was a better way to live. I had a mom who, who didn't like a girl I was dating. And as much as I didn't want to hear it, I couldn't deny that the advice that she was giving me was true. You know what she told me one time? She said, man, son, I love you, but you can't date this girl. She's no good for you. You can't, you can't date. This relationship's not good. I, I, you can't do it. And, and as much as I wanted to reject that advice and say, mom, you don't know. Psh, you don't, you know, what do you know? You're, you're old. I'm I, I'm like, I know everything. I'm like 20. So I got it down, right? Um, and yet I couldn't deny that my mom loved me, you know? And, and, and let me tell you that that love is powerful. And parents, when you come to your kids on these issues, let me just implore you to come out of a spirit of love that you say, man, I love you, son. I love you, daughter, but this is how it's got to be. I love you enough to protect you from this. Are you doing that? Are you having that conversation? Because let me tell you, there's a world out there giving them all the wrong information. Let's go to point two. What is keeping parents from doing their job? According to the Relevant Magazine, 80% of Christians who are between the ages of 18 and 35 today uh, admit to being sexually active. Over 87% said they found nothing really wrong or had any real problem with having sex outside of marriage. And, and I'm like, man, do any of these Christians read God's word? I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that when he says flee sexual immorality, all other sins are outside the body, you know, um, but sex is a sin against your own body, the temple of God that's within you. Um, there's lots of, uh, of clear scriptures on this, but unfortunately we live in a day and age where the church is ever increasingly becoming more like the culture and yet, from the very beginning, Christianity has always stood for moral purity. I'll go more into this in my sermon in the next hour. But the thing I want you to understand here is that, man, we are losing this battle. And unless we start taking it a lot more seriously, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in the next generation. I mean, just consider how much the moral revolution has changed in the last few years. And isn't it about time that we as a church begin to speak out on these issues in a way that says, man, I love you too much to see you destroy your life in a behavior that will ultimately destroy your life. So why aren't we being successful? You know, Albert Muller po pointed out that the trend today, we're, we're seeing a new trend that has never happened before in America, where we have more kids being born outside uh, uh, of having both parents than ever before. And in a number of cities, those parents outnumber uh, pa uh, children who have both mom and dads. And the reason is, is not because of divorce, but because parents are never getting married in the first place. So the odds that the majority of our next generation kids will grow up without both parents has never been higher than it is today in America. And we know that when kids grow up in single-parent homes, they're far more likely to be involved in gangs, far more likely to be involved in, in, in drug use, far more likely to be involved in teen pregnancy and have bad relationships. 
Uh, those are all more likely in single parent homes. And that's, that's the direction we're headed. So why isn't the church doing a better job? Well, let me, let me suggest to you a couple reasons why. I've got three of them. Number one is there's ongoing hypocrisy. You know, this word hypocrisy is from the Greek, and it, it, it comes from the Greek root word uh, hypocrite. <clears throat> and it, it means this, the practice of claiming to have a moral standards or belief to which one owns uh, behavior does not conform. Let me say that again. The practice to claim, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's being the actor. It's being two-faced. King Solomon, who wrote uh, uh, Proverbs five, uh, unfortunately didn't pass on moral excellence to his kids, and, and the reason he was unsuccessful is found in first. Uh, he was unsuccessful is found in First Kings. Chapter 11, verse 4, it says this. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. As Dr. Gene Gitz puts it this way, he says this. Unfortunately, Solomon didn't practice the very wisdom he shared with his son. His life ended in disaster because of immoral influences of pagan women. His hypocritical lifestyle had a much greater influence than his words. These are some sobering words because it tells us that, man, if we are not careful, our actions can speak louder than our words, right? I remember uh, having a a friend of mine um, who I'll call Wanda, and uh, her kids had gone through a True Love Waits program and been trained on abstinence. They had learned every lesson and, and practical tool they needed, and yet not one of them waited for marriage. And I remember her calling me one day out of frustration, and, and, and she was a single parent, and, and just telling me how, how frustrated she was that none of her kids, you know, could, could practice moral purity. And without really knowing the history of her own dating relationship, I, I simply asked her, I said, well, what about you? How are you modeling that for her kids? And she wasn't. In her own life, she was sleeping with her boyfriend. And I said, man, well, it doesn't matter what lessons you teach your kids if you're not going to practice it yourself. That's the reality. That was King Solomon's downfall. And that can be our downfalls, too, if we're not careful. And so, listen, I understand so many of us come to Christ at different stages. This isn't about dragging you back into your past, but it is about what's ongoing now in your life life today, right? Because there's a big difference between living a life of sin that's ongoing in your life and, and, and having being a Christian who stumbles and sins along the way. One is giving yourself over to sin. The other is being a Christian who's trying their best but making mistakes along the way. There's a big difference between the two. And it's that ongoing hypocrisy that's going to detrimentally impact your credibility. So let's make sure we have that core truth down that the consequences of hypocrisy means no credibility. No credibility. Number two is that there's a present addiction. Along with hypocrisy, this is no doubt one of the biggest problems facing uh, the church and uh, facing the Christian community today. Do you know that one out of eight, all searches that are done online are done for erotic content? Do you know that roughly two-thirds, 67% of young men and nearly one-half of young women, 49%, uh, agree that viewing pornography is acceptable? 
Nearly 9 out of 10, 87% of young men, and 1 out of 3, 31% of young women, report using pornography. In the church today, 54% of pastors said they viewed porn within the past year in a pastors.com survey. In a 2003 Focus on the Family poll, 47% of respondents said porn is a problem in their home. And these are the Christian conservative homes. And if this is what it's like in the average Christian conservative homes, then we know that pornography is finding a much bigger uh, a foothold in, in many of our, our um, lives and, and in many of our homes. And let, let me just tell you, couple of the quick excuses I hear for pornography is the lie that I'm not hurting anyone. Let me tell you, the studies of neurology are showing how much pornography actually does hurt the brain. In fact, a book that I have on the back of your handout in the last page is one from uh, William Strutters. It's called Wired for Intimacy. And it talks about how the brain is actually hijacked by pornography, how the neuron receptors in your brain actually create a neuropathways that makes pornography an addicting behavior, much like what we see happen with the brain with crack cocaine. That like any other drug, what happens with the brain, uh, uh, dopamine chemicals released in the brain, which uh, gives the sensation of good feelings and is pleasurable. And as a result, the, the brain wants more and more of it. And since you can see so much in such a short amount of time, young men are beginning to burn out their neural receptors because they're becoming so hooked on pornography. I have this theory about why the, there's been this explosion in sale of male enhancement drugs. Because young men's brains are becoming so damaged through pornography that they can't have normal, healthy sexual relationships. And for many, they need now an artificial stimulant to have anything that would symbolize a normal relationship. The reality is that pornography does impact the neural receptors in your brain, and it becomes a habitual habit that always wants more. The one thing we know pornography trains you to do is to be promiscuous, to never be satisfied with one person because it's never about one image. It's always about something more and often something harder. You know, it's interesting from a law standpoint, as much as they try to say pornography doesn't have any legal implications or there isn't anything, the number one similarity we know among all sex offenders The number one thing, whenever they're looking for a serial rapist or killer or murderer, the number one thing they'll find is pornography. Doesn't mean everybody who looks at porn goes to become on to be a sex offender, but it does mean all sex offenders, virtually all of them, start first with pornography. There's a real price to that. And if that's a present addiction, see, the problem with it is it's going to cloud your judgment and it's going to impair your ability to think clearly enough to have moral credibility with your kids. Right? Like, you can't have that ongoing addiction in the home and expect to hold moral standards for your sons and daughters. This is why Ephesians 4.19 has pointed out that the lost people, those who are Gentiles who have rejected Christ in the sense of, of being outside of the Christian faith, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And that's what porn ultimately does, is it drives us to indulge in every kind of impurity and there's no pit bottom to it. You know, have you ever met a porn addict who just said, oh, yep, I'm good. I've finally gotten enough. I have enough. I don't need any more. I'm content with my level of porn. Never going to happen. It's always going to want more. So the core truth is, how can you expect your kids to be pure if you're not? How can you expect it? Let's go to number three. 
they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. Um, I came up with a mnemonic and mnemonics really helped me get through the attorney bar exam. They little catchy phrases that help us to memorize key terms. There's so many laws uh, to try to learn when you're taking the exam. The mnemonic I have for you guys is every parent must know their kids' faces, F-A-C-E-S. The faces stand for friends, affection, cell phone, entertainment, and standards. They're friends. You know, most young people uh, are introduced to bad behaviors through their friends. That a person is known by the company they, they keep and that bad company corrupts good morals. You know, just think about this. Like most who start like smoking weed or, or some other drug, like rarely does a young person like walk along the street, like find some bag on the side of the road and be like, hey, I should start smoke this, right? Uh, I'm just going to, you know, pick this up. Like, no, most of the time it's their friends who introduce them to it. They go to a party. That's how it's done. So true. So too is it with pornography and other things such as sexting that it often starts with other friends introducing them to that behavior. And and so we can see then that that who their friends are is a big thing that parents need to know. You got to be in on this. You got to know the type of people your friends are, uh, your your kids are hanging out with. The A, the affection. You got to know dads. I mean, man, dads, don't you know that if you don't give your daughters affection, have a healthy relationship with them. They're going to look for it from other guys. Man, this is so true. It's so important that, that your sons and daughters have a healthy affection relationship with you. And you may say, well, I'm not the lovey-dovey type. Well, you got to start. You got to put yourself out there because let me just say, so many, so many young teenagers, so many young people say that they just wish they had more of that affectionate relationship coming from, from their parents. The one thing we know that kids who are deprived love and affection at home is that they often suffer from low self-esteem. And as one pastor put it, most girls don't date their potential. They date their level of confidence. Most girls don't date their potential. They date their level of confidence. One thing we know about girls who suffer with poor self-esteem is that they're 75% more likely to take on an abusive behavior like self-cutting where they cut themselves, uh, drug use, or an eating disorder to cope with that low self-esteem, and they're far more likely to be sexually immoral. The C, the cell phone. Man, it's so important. If you're going to give your kids a smartphone, please, by the love of mercy, have some form of accountability or software on that phone because realize that for young men, I mean, moms, don't you know that you're giving them a limitless supply of a dangerous drug? Because through that cell phone, they, they can get as much pornography and as many unhealthy images as you can possibly imagine and more. So, so cell phones are a major thing that, man, if you're, if you're going to have those, your kids are going to have them, make sure you have accountability built in with that. The entertainment. What entertainment are you allowing your kids to have and to own in the home? Man, do you know that there are some of the top-selling games, video games, and, and movies out there right now marketed to young people uh, include things like Grand Theft Auto, where you can basically have sex with a prostitute in the video game. Uh, and, um, the movie, uh, one of the top selling movies this year is this movie, a new action superhero movie called Deadpool. 
And I haven't seen it, but I do know that it's one of the top grossing movies this year. And the superhero in this movie, it's one of the first rated R superhero movies. And um, it has a lot of sexual immorality in it. And so if those are the things that your young people are filling their minds with, I mean, man, that's going to impact what they do. And then finally, the standards. Man, parents, we got to set standards for our kids. If you don't, who else is going to? Right? If you don't set standards for their relationships, for what you bring into the home, then how else are they going to win this purity battle? Which brings me to this third point. How parents can be successful in the purity battle. I've got three things and we'll go through them quickly. The first thing, before I even get into this, parents need to, need to recognize that they must be intentional and have a plan. Parents must be intentional and have a plan. I want you to think that the end goal is to do a couple things. You got to think about this in creating the right heart motivation. And you got to think about this in having practical standards. The right heart motivation and the right practical standards. I can guarantee you that young people who are here today, the ones who don't make it, will be lacking in one of these areas. See, either, I, see, I can give you all the practical standards you, you want. I mean, we can lock you down with a chastity belt in your mother's basement until you're 21. Um, but as soon as you get out, you're not going to wait if you don't want to, right? That it doesn't matter how many practical tools you get. If you don't capture their heart, if, you don't, if you're not able to make a compelling argument and be able to tell them that, man, I love you, but you have to wait, then you're going to lose that heart motivation, the other thing, though, is you, you got to give them practical tools. I, I know also of young people who had the heart motivation, but they went to a party, as one young man did. They got drunk, and as he said, man, I slept with a girl I barely knew. She got pregnant, and he had to drop out of school to start getting a job at Burger King so he could start making his child support payments. And that happens not because he didn't have the right heart motivation, but he lacked the safeguards in place to keep him on the right path. And so, man, it's so important, parents, that we take this practically and we have the right standards in place. So how can we do it? Well, let me suggest to you three, three ways we can do it. Number one is to repent and seek accountability. This is from Psalms 32, verse 3. It says this, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Now, we'll unpack this more in the next service, but the main thing I want you guys to pull away from this is that, man, it has to start with ourselves, right? That if you have unconfessed sexual sin in your life, then today is the day to, do with that, to, to deal with that. That first, we got to clean out the trash in our own lives, Right? Like, if you've got movies, if you've got websites, I mean, today, man, go and clean that out. Get accountability in your life. Parents, please take the first initiative to clean up your own life first, and then you'll be able to see clearly enough to help your kids. So let's start there. Number two, switch from having we had the talk mentality to we are having an ongoing conversation. Man, this is important. I, I can tell you a number of times when I, when I tell young, you know, when I tell parents about what my ministry is and what, I, what I'm trying to do with, through these types of talks, and I've had them tell me, oh, yeah, I've already had that talk with my kids. I'm like, really? When did you? Oh, yeah, a couple years ago. I'm like, and that was it? That was it? Oh, so that you had one conversation at one time, and you expect that to be good? I'm like, man, don't you realize every day your kids are bombarded with, with new temptation, new struggles, and new questions? Parents, please open the door for further conversation to take place. you got to switch from the mentality to we had a talk 
Two, we're having an ongoing conversation. Open the door for ongoing conversation so that future questions and issues can be, can be answered. DoSomething.org reported that the number one, the top wish among all teenage girls was for their parents to communicate better with them. Better meant that they would have more frequent conversations and more open conversations. And nowhere is those conversations more needed than when it comes to guy and girl relationships and what their moral standards should be. Whether, whether your, your child acts like they want to have this conversation with you or not, they need it. And, and, and please see that as a priority of opening the door for those dialogues to take place. Psalms 119.9 asks the pivotal question of the day. It says, how can a young man or young person keep his way pure? It says, by abiding in your word. That word abiding is talking about daily saturating your life with God's word. And let me tell you, parents can go a long way into creating that habit in their kids by reading the Bible with them by starting that conversation with them. Uh, And really, you have a great excuse. You can use this talk as your springboard for those conversations. You can be like, man, I heard this guy at the Sunday school. I thought he was kind of crazy, but man, maybe he has a good idea, you know? And I can have that conversation with with your kids now, you know? You You can open that dialogue today. Number three, you gotta, you gotta establish some guardrails. You know, guardrails uh, uh, were defined by Andy Stanley. Guardrails are the things that keep you from going where you don't want to go. They keep you from going where you don't want to go. Let me suggest to you, every parent should have at least three guardrails for their kids. Three things they gotta do. Number one is they have to have an answer to the question, how far is too far? You gotta answer this. This is the number one question I get asked uh, when I do just like youth events or teen events, the one that we, when we give the kids a chance to ask questions, this is the one that always comes up. And, and let me just tell you, I, I think that whatever your standard is here is one that you guys set. You, you have to be practical. And, and listen, I, I know there are some speakers who, who want to spiritualize and say, hey, we, um, we shouldn't, you know, necessarily, that's like asking, you know, how far do I put my hand in the fire, right? Um, But let me tell you, no, there is a lot of good common sense in having a clear standard and guideline because there's that Chinese proverb that says, he who aims for nothing is bound to hit it, right? And so if you don't have a standard and you start the dating relationship, let me just tell you, it's easy to go from first base to second base to third base to you want to be rounding home. That's the natural drive. In fact, uh, secular psychologists have created what they call the 12 steps of sexual intimacy, Dr. James Dobson took those 12 steps and he says this, that anything past closed mouth kissing for, and that's for a couple who's ready to get married. Anything past that is too far. It doesn't mean you have to kiss. This isn't like permission to go start making out and be like, hey, Dobson says it's okay. No, he's talking about a couple that's ready for marriage, right? Uh, And he's saying um, that's the farthest they should go. Meaning anything farther, you're arousing so much sexual desire, it becomes very difficult to stop. And and specifically, especially among younger men, the endorphins and adrenaline in their brain can actually impair their natural thinking. And so uh, when a dad says to his son, what what were you thinking? He probably really wasn't. Uh, And and especially if you add some sort of drug or alcohol on top of that. So you got to have an answer to the question, how far is too far? The second thing you got to do is you got to tell them what dating should look like. 
Uh, I've given you five tips that you can go over. But man, you've got to talk about things like this, like not mixing drinking and dating. Do you know that the Wisconsin Health Survey says that teenage girls are 80% more likely to be sexually promiscuous if they drink on a date or if there's drinking and dating mixed? Now, look, I understand some of you may be like, well, I come from, you know, a Lutheran background. We're totally cool with, uh, with drinking. I'm like, okay, fine. But listen, have your young people, listen, don't mix those two, right? Like, don't mix the dating and the drinking, especially one-on-one dating with one-on-one drinking. Bad mix. And what the evidence tells us, that's likely to lead to too far uh, in the behavior. And, and I've never had someone say, man, I was so sober, it just ticked me off. I don't know. We couldn't control ourselves because I was so sober. Like, that's never a problem, right? So why not err on the, say it's the, the side of caution? You know, one thing I recommend, especially for new, newly dating people, is that they do double dates, is that they start in like a group setting. And, and by double dating, let me make sure this is clear. Uh, young men, I'm not talking about dating two girls at the same time. What I am talking about is, is first starting, especially for young, you know, when you're 15, 16, you want to start going out, start in the group environment. It's the best way to do it. Number three is the type of secular media you allow in your home. Man, this is important. It's important that you have a safe standard uh, of what you allow for, for your home. What, what do you allow for yourself? And, and parents, let me just say this. When your kids are in high school, don't have a different standard for yourself and your high school students. Let me tell you, I don't care what your justification is. It's never going to be enough. You can say, well, I can watch this. I'm married. Uh, I'm, I'm 50 years old, whatever. No, listen. It, it, it's always going to hurt your credibility when you allow something for yourself that you're not allowing for your high school uh, a kid. It's, it's, it's always going to negatively impact it. So you've got to have the same standard. And if your standard is terrible now, change it. I mean, man, why not go home and set a great example and throw out DVDs or other things you may have in your home collection? Clean house today. Do it. You won't regret it. So today we've talked a number of big issues, and I know I'm running out of time, but let me just make sure this is clear. We've got to recognize we are in a real battle. This, this is a war we're fighting here, and, and we've got to recognize that this is the time to be proactive. And, and in the next uh, talk, I'm going to give you guys what I call the seven steps of moral ex- excellence. And in that handout, you're going to get some more practical advice that can help you create your own plan. You don't have to follow my plan, but the point is you should have one. Create something because, listen, most people don't plan to fail, but most parents fail to plan, especially when it comes to the area of moral excellence. And and, and I love your kids enough, and and God loves your kids enough to want you to be proactive in their life and to set some standards for them in their relationships. They need it now more than ever. Finally, I would say this to the parents. Uh, Man, make sure your own relationship reflects the kind of marriage that your kids would want to have. You know, because one of the big turnoffs of waiting for marriage is by seeing your parents have a terrible marriage. You know what I'm saying? I I heard the story of this um, older gentleman who was walking through the woods one day, and he came across a talking frog. It's a true story. (laughs) And the frog says to him, kiss me, and I'll turn into a beautiful princess. And so at first the old man just ignores him, but the, tog, the frog just keeps hopping along and is, keeps saying to him, hey, kiss me and, and I'll turn into a beautiful princess. And so finally the old man picks up the frog and, and he puts the frog in his pocket. And the frog says, hey, what are you doing? I said, kiss me and I'll turn into a beautiful princess. To which the old man responded, 
Dear, at my age, I'd rather just have a talking frog. You know, I think one of the things that's lost on this generation is how romantic it can be to be a person of moral excellence. That when you can look at your future bride and say, I loved you so much, I was willing to wait just for you. That is the most romantic gesture any person can ever do for their future spouse. Do your kids understand that? Are are you demonstrating that kind of romance in the home of what godly romance should look like? Man, I hope so. Because kids need to see it. I think the best argument for moral excellence isn't simply avoiding all of the problems that comes with not waiting, but the beautiful side of those who wait and do things God's way because there's a reward for that. We'll talk about that more in the next sermon. Will you guys close in prayer with me? Dear Lord God, I just thank you so much for this morning. I I just pray, God, that this message would impact these parents. That perhaps even just one, God, would, would take the initiative to have these conversations. And if their kids have already been having mistakes, God, I, I just pray, God, that they would seek counsel with uh, the church leaders and, and find counseling where needed. God, that no one would struggle in silence in this, God. But, Lord, they would know there is forgiveness And there is redemption in you, Lord, that this isn't about their past, but it is about their future. And it is about restoring them to a right relationship with you. God, we know that sin left unconfessed creates chains on us, God, that we are bound in darkness. And that when we're bound in darkness, Lord, we are are slaves to the evil one. So God, I pray for freedom. I pray for the abolition of slavery today, God, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, but that we would confess that sin. And we would recognize that it's your kindness that calls us to repentance. That, Lord, it is through your power and through your spirit that we can be made whole and we can be made new. So, God, that we would understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that through your grace and through your sacrifice on the cross, you have made us right with Christ. If we will but repent, confess with our mouth, and then turn with our hearts and turn to you, God. So, Lord, help us to take action that would be keeping, that would be action keeping with the fruits of repentance by demonstrating it in our life, by taking out the trash tonight, God, by, by perhaps ending a bad relationship, by perhaps getting software on our computers and, and, and mobile devices, by perhaps doing whatever it takes, God, so that we can be men and women who are set apart for you to honor your name. God, I pray for this congregation. I pray that Cornerstone would be a church of purity be a church of holiness, would be a church that welcomes sinners, but then redeems them in your name and and, and sends them out as renewed creatures in Christ. I pray this now, God. I pray your blessing on these parents. I pray for these kids. God, may they see your heart and your desire for them to wait. Pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.